Listener Production. The dire warning that house prices could plunge by up to a third next year. Sydney's house prices are falling at their fastest pace in decades. Australia's property price plunge is being driven by the steep interest rate hikes, high inflation and high household debt. As you can hear, it is a strange time in the Australian housing market. Uh, We're witnessing the fastest decline in prices ever. And in this episode, we're going to ask, will this be the worst housing market crash in Australian history? Over a relatively short period of six months, Australian home values have come down peak to trough about 6%. So that's Eliza Owen. She's a great property analyst, really good communicator. And we're going to go right into depth with her about the current housing market downturn, compare it to previous downturns in Australian history. That is the briefing in the second half of this podcast. First, today's big headlines with Katrina Blouse. It's Monday, the 7th of November. We've got some grim news from the UN Climate Conference. The past eight years were the eight hottest ever recorded, according to a new UN report released on the first day of the UN's COP27 Climate Conference in Egypt. Yeah, so it is grim reading. The report shows climate change is forecast to uproot 143 million people in the next 30 years. But greenhouse gases are at record levels in the atmosphere. Sea levels are rising twice as fast as 30 years ago and our oceans are hotter than ever. And the conference will also discuss whether wealthy nations should pay compensation to poorer nations for loss and damage caused by global warming. All countries, especially the most vulnerable and least developed, must receive the support they need to achieve their climate goals. So finance is, as ever, a critical issue. Yeah, so that's a really interesting idea and something I think in some form that we're going to be hearing a lot more about. Uh, so that was UN Executive Secretary Simon Steele. More than 100 heads of state are in Egypt for the 12-day conference, although not Anthony Albanese, even though Australia is lobbying to co-host the 2026 UN Climate Conference with Pacific Nations. Yeah, it's an interesting idea wanting to host this event because I think it puts a lot of focus on the home country. And yes, you know, we stepped up our 2030 target uh, big time with the new Labor government, but it'll probably bring a lot of scrutiny to our resources sector, I reckon. Yeah, absolutely. In New South Wales, floodwaters are receding in Forbes after peaking at about 10.7 metres on Saturday. Now that is just below the record set in 1952. Yeah, so there's still a lot going on. A lot of people struggling with all these rivers rising around regional parts of New South Wales and Victoria. So In Wagga Wagga, people have been returning to their homes after the Murrumbidgee River peaked on Friday, highest level in a decade. Now the water's moving further down the Murrumbidgee and Lachlan Rivers. Kondobalan is expected to be next in the firing line. Flood levels are still rising, expected to peak there next Monday, so a tough week ahead. In Victoria, residents at Swan Hill on the Murray River were told to evacuate yesterday morning, while at Echuca and Moama, major flooding is expected to continue this week, although water levels are starting to fall, and sadly, police have found the body of a second man who was swept away in floodwaters in the New South Wales Southern Tablelands nearly a week ago now, so very sad news for his family. Yeah, I remember we reported on the first guy, so these were two blokes on the back of a truck that got swept away in floodwaters. So just a message to anyone um, encountering floodwaters in their, their cars or their utes to be very careful. 
A Sri Lankan cricketer here for the T20 Cricket World Cup has been charged with the alleged sexual assault of a woman in Sydney. That cricketer will face court today. Police will allege that whilst they were in the home, the male assaulted the female a number of times whilst performing sexual acts upon her. He will appear in Waverley Court to face four charges of sexual assault. So that's New South Wales Superintendent Jane Doherty there. So the alleged victim is a 29-year-old woman and she met the cricketer, Danushka Gunatilaka, through a dating app. I guess it was never going to happen quietly, was it? But Elon Musk's new tenure as CEO of Twitter is starting with a real bang and not a great one for around 50% of Twitter's 7,500 staff worldwide. They all received emails advising them they're being let go. Many of them just had their email accounts deleted straight away afterwards. They've been given three months pay, but um, yeah, really sad news and quite shocking news for a lot of those staff. Yeah, well, in response to it, some of those employees have filed a class action um, alleging that Twitter's in violation of Californian law about the way those layoffs have been handled. Advertisers are also leaving the platform, including Volkswagen and Pfizer. Musk tweeted about that over the last few days. He blames it on activist groups pressuring them. And the idea of paying for your blue tick, well, that is going to go ahead. Um, but he brought the price down very quickly from $20 a month to seven ninety nine a month. Oh, this idea, I just think it's such a weird one and I, I just don't know that it's going to fly. So initially, uh, the subscription service is going to be in the UK, the US, Canada, Australia and New Zealand and then there are plans to roll it out worldwide. Elon Musk says that, you know, this is going to attract more people to the platform and um, allow people to be just like the celebrities and influencers that they already follow. So the whole idea of this blue tick is that it verifies the content that, you know, if you follow someone and they've got a blue tick, it means that they've jumped through various hoops and you can trust that content. And now I guess there are concerns, Tom, that pretty much anyone could impersonate Personate anyone that they wanted to and just pay mm. this eight bucks a month to look legit, even though they might not be. Yeah, well, I've got a blue tick and I'm not going to be paying $7.99. Um, Twitter, look, I can't look away from it. I do read it, but I don't put anything out there because it's, it's just so kind of hostile. I think he's going to lose a lot of money on this. I mean, I, I didn't want to say it when he first was taking it over because Elon Musk ha- has been so successful in so many other ways. But the deal took so long and then to come in and change it so radically with no ideas that really sound like they're going to improve it dramatically. So, you know, Mm. he sacked the CEO, a number of the other key executives, plus the board, now half the staff. Like, sure, there might have been some redundancy there, but I don't imagine all of these people were doing nothing. But look, as you say, Tom, Elon Musk, super successful businessman and visionary. You know, he's he's a thinker, like he, his ideas are really out of the box. So let's not rule him out just yet. I'm pretty close. <laughs> <laughs> All right, to our last story, um, tributes are flowing in for US pop star Aaron Carter. Um, really sad story, died over the weekend, age 34. He was a child star. Um, He started off in the 90s. He released his first self-titled debut album when he was nine years old. By 13, he had three best-selling albums and was supporting Britney Spears. But over the weekend, tragic news, Katrina. 
Yeah, so we haven't, you know, received an actual reason what, what's happened there, but he did reveal a couple of years ago that he'd been diagnosed with schizophrenia and bipolar. He'd been in rehab a few times, his latest stint uh, in September this year, and his brother, um, who's Backstreet Boys member, Nick Carter, said in a tribute on Instagram that addiction and mental health are the real villains here. All right, Katrina, we'll catch you tomorrow. Rihanna and I are about to do a very interesting chat about the property market. We're comparing uh, the current downturn to some of the other biggest downturns in history, just to get a sense of where this might be going. So, Rihanna Patrick, I'm not sure how many people that listen to the briefing realize that when you're on the podcast, you're speaking to us from your home in Ipswich. Yeah, and I guess I've got a bit of a different perspective being on the outskirts of Brisbane and not being in Sydney where you are, Tom. So, I sometimes wonder what all of this means when it comes to housing prices and how, I guess, that affects me here. Yeah, well, they're, they're very different dynamics. You see it in the numbers. Sydney is already down 10% in this current downturn, um, which is a lot more than other places like where you are, where you're still basically um, on a plateau only just starting to come downwards. Yeah, well, let's get a picture of what's happening in the housing market right now. Eliza Owen is here in the briefing studio. She's a property analyst at CoreLogic, one of the few strong millennial analysts that really stands up for her generation, but also has all the data in her brain, which is amazing. So, simple question, Eliza. Are we witnessing the worst housing crash in Australian history? I'd say we're witnessing the fastest one on record. Over a relatively short period of six months, Australian home values have come down peak to trough, about 6%. It's not yet the largest Um, For example, one of the longest and largest declines we've seen in Australia's housing market would have actually been fairly recently, 2017 to 2019, where values fell around 8% nationally. But in some markets like Sydney, it's worse, right? It's 10% already, and it could be a lot more. Yeah, there's a lot of variation. So a good rule of thumb to think about different performance in the housing market is generally that the more expensive the market is the more sensitive it's going to be to economic shocks and changes in interest rates. So we're seeing that right now for Sydney. It's the first to hit double-digit declines in this downturn, peak to trough down about 10% since the peak in January. If you look at smaller and relatively affordable cities like Perth and Adelaide, that's where we've seen less than 1% declines from peak and those cities have only really recently entered a downturn as well. Eliza, you mentioned that downturn from 2017 to 2019, but I mean, how does that compare to other downturns that we've seen across, say, the 1990s to 2000s? It was a very different downturn in the sense that it wasn't really triggered by higher interest rates. In fact, when we got towards the trough of that past downturn, interest rates or the underlying cash rate was at a then record low of 1.5%. So this was really more about changes that regulators had made to lending policy in 2017, concerned with a profile of potentially risky lending growing. The banking regulator APRA imposed a 30% cap 
on the amount of mortgage lending that could go out on interest-only terms, which is where you're just paying off uh, the interest only on your loan and not Mm. paying down any of the principal. It was a very common strategy and loan type used by property investors specifically, which dominated the market at the time. So once that cap was implemented, it created a, a sort of negative shock to housing investment demand. And that's what really pulled a lot of demand out of the market and, and created a big adjustment in prices. And then we've seen historically uh, some of the larger downturns have been around the GFC. So 2007, 2008, we saw peak to trough declines of around 7.5%. And the early 90s, where we did see a rise in interest rates, in fact, a, a rise in interest rates that's much more comparable to what we're seeing at the moment in terms of pace, that triggered about a 4% decline peak to trough in Australian home values. Okay, so that's a really interesting one. So you've you've brought up three comparable downturns, 2017 to 19, the GFC in 2007, and now you're talking about the early 90s. Let's zone in on that one because, as you said, it's the most comparable. It was a response to a, a very fast increase in interest rates. Was that increase in interest rates comparable to the one we're seeing now? Yeah, so that was actually the most rapid rate tightening cycle that we'd seen historically. This is the most rapid rate tightening cycle since then. Going. And it's similar or worse, this, or this one's bigger? Um, at the moment, it's very similar, uh, but it could soon get worse in the mm. sense that the RBA has signalled that they would anticipate inflation is sticking around. There's probably going to be more rate rises to come. Okay, so if our current debt-to-income ratio is 144%, what was it in the early 90s when they jacked up rates this quickly last time? It was closer to 50% at that time. Yeah. So it's almost three times higher now. Yeah, that's right. And it means that Australian households are going to be presumably more sensitive to the rate rises that we're seeing. So even with the rate rises we've seen so far, mortgage holders haven't felt the full pinch of that just yet. Eliza, I'm in Ipswich, which is just southwest of Brisbane, and I've often wondered about how that Sydney market dictates what's happening, I guess, further north than where I live. And is it typical that those other markets follow the Sydney market? Yeah, historically, we see other parts of the country follow our big southern state markets of Sydney and Melbourne at a lag. At times, resource-based markets have performed differently based on what's happening in that space. Perth, Darwin, parts of Queensland? Yeah, exactly. But generally, you would expect that Sydney and Melbourne are going to be first movers. And Eliza, are you seeing a lag in that time between what's happening in the Sydney market and then what happens elsewhere? Or is that also getting faster? Oh, that's a really good question. I think that there seems to have been a little bit less of a lag this time around across regional Australia. Usually that lag would be six months as much as a year in some places. But at the moment, we've seen the regional housing market downturn catch up pretty quickly. And in fact, over the month of October, the declines across regional Australia actually outpaced the capital cities. Right. Is that because this time around, the last most recent boom, which was the COVID boom, was quite a unique one, which saw a lot of people focusing on regional markets and wanting to leave cities. And that's why we saw extraordinary growth in prices in regional markets too. Is that why they're coming off more quickly this time than in other downturns? Yeah, I think that is a part of it. There was, I think, a bit more volatility introduced into the regional Australian housing market this time around. 
the overall upswing in regional Australian housing markets was about 40%, and that compares to about a 25% uplift across the capital cities. So, Eliza, what would you say to those of us who are kind of trying to work out what this all means wherever we might be in the country in terms of what might happen going forward? Well, I think it's important to remember that the housing market has always gone through ups and downs. You only really get an unravelling of the housing market and the financial system when two things go wrong. First of all, price falls, but second of all, an inability to actually service your mortgage. Because if you have price falls, but people can still pay their mortgage, then they don't really have to worry about the value of their home. If you have a fall in serviceability, which is what we might see a bit more of in the coming months as interest rates rise, but house prices are still relatively high, then you can at least sell your home if worse came to worse in order to service your debt. And for a lot of people, that will be feasible because even though property values have come down peak to trough about 6%, they're still sitting about 18% higher than where they were at the onset of COVID, Mm. for example. So there's a range of forecasts. You've got some analysts saying that Sydney, for example, is going to go backwards by about 25%, which would really hurt people that bought recently. I think there's another view at the other end of the spectrum that as soon as people see that this interest rate hiking cycle has kind of peaked, that there's going to be a bit more heat come back into the market, which will stabilise prices and potentially be the start of the next upward cycle. Where do you stand in this spectrum of predictions? A couple of weeks ago, honestly, before we got the latest read of inflation, I would have sided with the latter. What's been really interesting through this downswing is that we haven't seen any signs of distressed selling. In fact, it's been a really lacklustre start to the spring selling season. And I think that's because people recognise it's not a great time to sell their property Mm. as prices fall. Across the major banks, the forecast for the peak cash rate level has come up in a matter of weeks off the back of that inflation print from a peak of 3.2% to 3.7%. So all of that means more pain for mortgage holders, more pain for the housing market. And I think that there is a bit of a risk of this downturn re-accelerating as a result. And that's all because they were expecting inflation to peak at 775 but the RBA said in their statement it's actually going to be a little bit higher at 8 Yes. And I think not only is it that inflation is looking a bit higher than we thought it might, we're going to get more cash rate rises than we thought we would a few weeks ago. I think for me, it's more, actually, maybe we don't have as much of a handle on this inflation period as as we thought we did. So Eliza, I mean, what is the worst case scenario then? Hmm. Well, I guess even if you look at this idea that prices fall peak to trough 20% nationally, it is still coming off the back of a big upswing in prices. So nationally, home values get back to, I guess, where they were in the beginning of 2021. So the worst case scenario is that you're going to have a lot of recent home buyers in a position of of risk. You're speaking to two of them right now, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But again, it is a worst case scenario. So I guess we'll just have to wait and see, unfortunately. Okay, Let's look forward a bit further. So I guess we've been focusing on the next few months of interest rate moves from the Reserve Bank. But what we're seeing globally 
possibly for the first time of this magnitude, is everyone doing that around the world in all the advanced economies. So we're all going through this tightening cycle, which could have a really dramatic effect. Just this week, they're talking about two years of negative economic growth in the UK. So let's go ahead one year. Potentially, all these rate rises kick in, uh, really wind back a lot of the world's biggest economies, potentially a global downturn. Then what happens to interest rates? Then what happens to house prices? Interest rates would actually come down in that scenario. Which is what they're already forecasting, even the major banks, right? Yeah. And if that's the case, that could, in a perverse way, have a positive effect or it, it could put upward pressure on prices. And that's not uncommon. We've seen periods of sluggish economic performance lead to higher house prices before because the cash rate and property prices have an inverse relationship. So the more that the cash rate comes down, the cheaper debt is and the more property prices would increase. Just to finish up very quickly, it looks like this will, it's not yet, it's been the fastest, but it will be the worst housing downturn we've ever had. It could be. Given we're at 6% now, mm. the worst was 2017 to 19, mm-hmm. which was... About 8%, yeah. So it only has to go another 2% and we're there. Yeah. That was Eliza Owen from CoreLogic with some really clear analysis. I really enjoyed that interview. Rana, what about those debt levels right now? Oh my goodness, I hadn't, I guess, put those two equations together. But when you do compare it against what was happening in the 1990s, uh, yeah, it's very (laughs) different, isn't it? Bit scary. And I also found it really interesting that we're only 2% off being the worst downturn in history. And they are likely to go down further because we've got more interest rate rises to come. So there we go. That answers the question. Are we witnessing the worst housing downturn in Australian history? Looks like it. Listener.